Well, it came up so dark, I didn't hear anything. Is anyone here? It's uh, good to see you. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here in Rocky Peak. And if this is your very first time, I want to welcome you, whether you're back in the back or here in our Interim Worship Center or over in our live uh, video feed, The Summit. Uh, we've got uh, several things to share with you as we go into the summer. Um, the, you know, this, uh, the, during the school year, our, our whole ministry revolves around uh, these small groups we call life groups. We've said it many times, over 80% of our congregation is involved in them. Uh, but we take the summer off, and so during the summer, we like to have other growth opportunities for you. And I want to share with you a couple, uh, a couple for you as adults and one for your kids. Um, uh, for us as adults, the first is this uh, leadership summit that you just saw. In fact, if you look inside of your, um, inside your program today, uh, you're going to see three inserts, kind of, you get your full money's worth. Um, and so you see this first one right here, it lists all the faculty. Now, if you're not familiar with the summit, let me tell you, this is one of the top leadership events in our country every year, uh, Christian or uh, secular. And it's uh, just tremendous uh, speakers, leaders. And so if you're in any leadership role at all, you may say, well, I'm not really that much of a leader, but you're leading a family, you're leading a marriage, uh, you're leading, um, uh, could be a business, a ministry, a life group, uh, whatever it was, whatever it is, uh, I'm telling you, this is gonna be amazing. Last year, um, this, this thing normally costs, if you just come in off the street uh, from kind of no association, it's $250 to go, it's, two, it's a two-day conference. Um, but uh, last year, Shepard uh, came to us and asked if we would help sponsor it, and we, we just believed it and we wanted to do it. And so as a result, if you go to Rocky Peak, you can actually get in until June 24th and sign up. It's not until August, but you can get in uh, for just $99. And so uh, we can't even advertise that rate on our website. That's just for people here. You get the code in the program. It's the only way we can give it to you. And so uh, last year, we took over 200 people from Rocky Peak. And uh, I'm not kidding you, people came up, I mean, by the end of day one, they're begging me, can we go back again? It was just so impactful. And so uh, this is great for you, uh, but it's also, this is a great thing to invite uh, non-believers to. Because uh, as you see here, it's a mix of, of kind of Christian, non-Christian leaders or whatever. And it's just something that has high credibility. And so maybe there's someone on your job or in your life that it's a great kind of front door interest. Okay, why don't you come to the summit? Here's this great speaker, head of GE, different things, you know, Patrick Lincioni and so on. Uh, and it's a great thing that they often will come to. And it's a great kind of first exposure because they're going to hear some people from business world, educational world, politics, but they're going to hear some uh, pastors and Christian leaders as well, and so it's a, a tremendous opportunity, all right? So this week and next, we're kind of pushing that. That's number one. Number two, we've been talking for several weeks about these essential courses. Uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about them uh, today, but these are courses that we've created that uh, really address uh, topics we believe are absolutely essential for walking well with God. So there's about uh, eight or nine of these. We've, we've uh, done most of them uh, ourselves. And so this summer, we're offering two in the uh, large screen kind of summit uh, type format, video uh, format. I'll be teaching both of those. The topics are on here. I encourage you to check it out. But they're, uh, they're, they're, very, they're just great topics. One's on, on what it's like to really do relationships, like God's uh, designed us to do them, whether it's marriage, family, friendships, whatever. Uh, the other one is about uh, uh, finding your, 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 kind of your, uh, your gifts in life and what has God uniquely designed you to do, your strengths and so on, kind of his vision for your life uh, so you can serve more uh, effectively. And so a couple there, if you say those aren't hitting you, well, then I encourage you to go online and you can take them online. Most of our courses are online. You can take them this summer. Uh, it's a summer of growth for you. Okay, so there's, there's the second thing. Uh, last week, I got an email from someone it's like, I cannot believe this course has changed my life. You, you got to find a better way to tell the church about it more often. So I'm like, yeah, I, I know I do. Uh, but I haven't figured it out. Uh, third thing is uh, that uh, we have VBS coming. And so no adults, this is not for you unless you want to serve. This is for kids. Uh, and so it's coming up July 7th through 11th. And so again, great opportunity. Think of it like a camp for kids. Uh, great opportunity as they're young, just to kind of, kind of great input in their life of following Jesus, what it looks like. And so that's coming up. It's not only for our kids or grandkids, but this is great to reach out to people in your neighborhood. Maybe your one life uh, has kids. And this is a great first step uh, for kind of exposing them to, to Jesus, his word, and so on. And so that's coming up. You can sign up online for that. All right? So a uh, lot going on. I just want to make you aware of that. We're going to take a quick break right now and uh, stand up, say hi to 
to one another, uh, and then we're going to uh, turn your cell phones off, and then we'll get going. Hey, well, it's good to be with you. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. If you're brand new, uh, not only want to welcome you, but uh, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out. And uh, I just want to challenge you as we get started. Uh, you know, yesterday I was at Coffee Bean early in the morning and uh, just spending some time with the Lord. And I was, I was kind of reading in uh, John 15, very famous passage, I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? Kind of very read a million times. Well, one thing just stood out to me really strong. And it was like, uh, Jesus said, there's only two kinds of branches. Uh, those that are bearing fruit, and those get pruned, so they bear more fruit. fruit. And then branches that don't bear fruit, and they get cut off and thrown in the fire. And it's like, wow, uh, I got my attention here, you know? And so, man, we want to be a church of growing people, right? And so, uh, as we come today, it's interesting, that passage, Jesus says, the way that the Father prunes us is through his word. And so, we're going to be coming today to his word. And just once again, I want to challenge as we come, we don't just go through the motions, we're not taking this for granted, that we're on the edge of our seats, God, what do you want to say? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go. Father, we just thank you so much that we can be here, and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in our church. Thank you for this amazing passage of scripture we have. We get to talk about failure and how you use it in our life. And we pray that you would come and be our teacher. Uh, just give me the words, the thoughts, uh, insights I need as I share. I pray for us as a church. We gather around your word, hear your voice through it, and we will respond. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now since the beginning of the year. Uh, for those of you who are brand new, it's called Jesus. You can see it, the crucified king. And this is actually the third in a trilogy of series uh, on the life and teaching of Jesus. As seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early church, his name is Mark. He's a close personal friend of the apostle Peter. So what we have in the, the gospel of Mark is, a, is an account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on uh, the teaching of, uh, of, of uh, or based on the firsthand uh, witness of Peter. And so, uh, in this third and final series, we've watched as Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's coming into increasing conflict with the religious and political leaders who see him as a threat to uh, their authority. And so, it's, it's Thursday night. It's actually now Friday morning, very, very early, like maybe one or two in the morning. And if you've been in the last couple of weeks, we've watched as Jesus has been arrested right outside the city gates, the eastern side, in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, which was actually like an olive grove. And, uh, and he was now been taken inside the city, back inside the gates. He's taken to the estate, uh, picture a palatial estate of the high priest, who's like the, the highest political, religious leader, I think Ayatollah type person of the nation of Israel. And so uh, he's taken inside this wall of the state, and he's taken upstairs where he's going to be interrogated throughout the night. And what they're looking for is they're looking for charges that they could bring against him that will cause them to be able to execute him, both on kind of religious and uh, secular political charges. And so if you were here last week, we, we watched as Jesus was taken upstairs, the false witnesses are brought in, the special emergency session of the Senate in the middle of the night, get all the senators out through the dark city streets, bring in the witnesses, and they just can't find any charges that will stick. And so finally, uh, Hail Mary approach, uh, throw, throw the, the long bomb. The high priest gets up and says, listen, flat out, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed one? And this is what Jesus has been waiting for. Yes, I am. So he's convicted of blasphemy and they begin to beat him. So that's happening upstairs. You remember if you were here last week, as Mark typically does, he tells, or often does, he tells two stories at once. And so last week, as, he, he, as we watched Jesus walk upstairs, he said, meanwhile, downstairs, out in the courtyard of this enclosed compound, one or two in the morning, there's a fire going, and Peter, and we know from the Gospel of John, John as well, two of the disciples, though they originally ran for their lives when Jesus was arrested, they have circled back, they have followed from a distance, and now they've actually talked their way into the compound of the high priest. And last week, this is going, this is extremely dangerous. This is going into the enemy camp. This is like Jack Bauer going into the, into the, the, the you know, the enemy's uh, uh, warehouse or whatever. This is like, uh, this is like Aragorn and Lord of the Rings 
uh, you know, when he's still the ranger, Aragorn, uh, going into the tavern at Bree at the beginning and just trying to act normal, right? Like he's no one special. And so you got Peter uh, kind of coming around the fire. Uh, he's scared to death that someone's going to recognize him. He, he loves Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be close. If thing breaks loose, he can help. And so he's there, probably hood up, uh, middle of the night, warming his hands around the fire, just hoping against hope that no one recognizes him. And so that's where we left it last week. And Mark left the story, and he says, okay, let's go back and check out Jesus. And we went back last week. We saw what's going on with Jesus, saw his conviction. Now it's time for the camera to swing back and see what's going on with Peter. So if you have our Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter 15. Make it 14. It's my third time. I'm getting tired. We should be in 15 by now. It's like... They're still in 14. Give me a break. All right. So chapter 14 and verse 53, you got your uh, apps, uh, iPads, or whatever. Go ahead and pull them out. Verse 53. So, uh, so they took Jesus to the, to the high priest. And by the way, there in your note sheet, we're moving this section now that is called Peter Under Pressure, The Total Collapse, which gives you an idea this is not going to go so well. All right, so, so verse 53, so they take uh, Jesus to the high priest, it's Caiaphas, and all the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law. That's the Sanhedrin, this ruling council, 70 members, almost like a senate, uh, their high priest, their uh, highest court. And so they take him upstairs, right? So then, then Mark swings the camera back downstairs. So Peter follows him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, uh, into the enemy's camp, right? And there he sat with the guards and he warmed himself the fire. And so he's, he's, he's there on the fire trying to lay low, hoping no one, uh, under, no one can recognize him. Now, next week, uh, last week, Mark went back upstairs. We see Jesus on trial, the whole trial scene. He gets convicted. Now he's being beaten. And so meanwhile, while he's upstairs going through his interrogation and standing tall, right, just kind of really taking it, being true, being, being you know, doing the right thing, uh, Mark says, hey, meanwhile, let's go and see how Peter is doing down below as he goes through his interrogation. And so if we skip ahead to verse 66, we already covered the other verses last week. Uh, so while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And I want you to picture this. Again, one or two in the morning, dark, large courtyard, palatial estate, walled compound, people milling about. You got 70 sinners upstairs, come to the city streets. They're, they're deliberating. You got their servants, you got guards. They're not normally up at one or two in the morning. They're there because they're masters or, or up. And so they're just around the fire trying to stay warm. And uh, this servant girl, she's probably taking coffee to them upstairs so they could stay awake. It's not really. It's like, all right, like, okay, let me write down coffee. Yeah. I didn't know they had coffee back then. So anyway, so... Uh, so, so, so she's coming down, right? And she goes by in the fire and she, she looks over and she sees Peter. And she's like, I, I think I know that guy. And she kind of stops, does a double take. It's like, that's him. Yeah, he, he's one of the guys, the guy, the guy upstairs, been, been tried, right? So she comes over the fire and she calls him out. Now, this is Peter's biggest nightmare. This is what he's been hoping. This is like hope against, I mean, he's risked his life. Like when you're behind enemy lines, when you're a spy, like your biggest fear is that something has recognized you, figure out you're not, you're not who you claim to be. And so she comes over and she calls him out and he is just like uh, panicked, right? And so she, she looks closely at him and she's like, yeah, remember, remember the you know, it's firelight, so it's dark, flickering lights. You've all seen that in the campfire. You can't see very well. She's looking closely like, yeah, that's him. And she says, hey, you were with that Nazarene, Jesus. And so he, he just panics. It's the biggest, he just flat, pan, flat, no way, it's not me. I don't know what you're thinking about. Then from around here, so I'm sure, he, you know, he's going to go into some detail. But he's basically like, you know, I, I don't know who you think you are, but you're crazy. It's not me, right? And so the people are on the fire. They're buying it, right? She's a servant girl. She's nobody. They're buying it. And so he's like, whew, right? Now, what he's done is just a big deal. Because I want you to think with me back to Mark chapter 8. 
Back in Mark chapter 8, remember Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And and remember, Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And then right after that, Jesus says, well, yeah, but I'm going to have to be crucified. Then Peter pulls him aside, no, you're not. That's a bad idea. Remember, that doesn't go so well for Peter, remember? And Jesus pulls all of them all together as followers. He says, hey, listen, let me tell you what's it. If you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to die for me. Remember that? And then he said this, if anyone is ashamed of me in this generation, I'll be ashamed of him when I come as power. So what Peter has just done, I have nothing to do with him. I don't know him. I, this is a big deal. And so, so he, he just, I think he just panics. He just panics. And uh, so he lies and it works. Lies often do. And so uh, it works, and they back off, and uh, notice that uh, he denies, he says, like, I don't, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And, uh, and then he walks out to the entryway. Now, here's my guess. I, I don't think he just, hey, hey, I don't know what you're talking about, and then leaves. That looked too weird, right? I'm sure, hey, you know, what are you talking about? I've never met you. You don't know me. I'm not even from around here. Whatever. Blows her off, and it's like, stupid girl, whatever. Yeah, so she leaves. And now I think he's there. Just hanging out, acting cool, nothing. That's crazy. Who is she? I don't know. Crazy. Huh. And once things settle down and it seems normal, he's getting out of there. So notice where he goes. He goes to the entryway of the compound. Why? Because you want to be close to getting out of here. Like, how do you get close? Where's the exit? You know? Where did I get into this place? So he goes back, he stands by the entryway. And he's just back in the shadows, new, new group of people there. He thinks he's safe, right? But he's on high alert now because she's pegged him. She's trying to avoid that girl. And who that girl is, what her thing is. Let's stay away from that girl. Crazy. She got it out for me or something? She's just mind her own business. Where did they see her? I don't recognize her. How'd she know me? I don't know. Just keep, just keep it cool. Just keep it cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. Fit in. Yeah. Good. The problem is she can't let it go. Right? She's like, she's going, no, I know that's him. I know that's him. He's lying. Like, that, that's him. I saw him the other day at the temple or where it was. He's with Jesus, a teacher. I, I, I recognize him. I, I, I'm good with faces. Like, I... Anyone on TV, I know that actor. They were in this, you know. So later in the evening, we don't know if it's an hour later, we don't know how long, she happens to come by the entryway and she sees it. It's like his worst nightmare. And so here she comes in verse 69. So the servant girl saw him there and she said to those standing around, and notice this time she's not talking to him anymore. She's tried that. He's a liar. So uh, she says, uh, this fellow is one of them. Notice it says in there, she said to those standing around, not talking to him, this fellow is one of them. Now this is getting serious. It's like this crazy lady, get her out of here, right? And so he's going to deny it again. And I'm sure he's being even more forceful this time, right? You've got to come on stronger now. Just, Crazy lady, leave me alone. I'm off from around here. You know, so he just, he just kind of blows her off, and he's getting really nervous now. Now, it's interesting because this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Remember? During dinner, Jesus said, you're all going to leave me. And Peter says, no, I'll never leave you. All these other bozos, they may leave you. I will never leave you. I'm not that kind of guy. If I have to die with you, I'll die with you, but I'll never leave you. But I want you to catch this. Uh, then Jesus comes back and says, oh, really? Actually, you're going to disown me three times tonight. And I'm sure at the time it seemed absolutely ludicrous to Peter. There's no way. That can never happen, right? 
But at this moment, I don't think he's thinking about that. He's forgot about that prediction. This night has gone sideways. This whole night's crazy. His Messiah has been arrested. He's run for his life. He's taken great risk. He's in enemy camp. He's got his spy gear on. Like he is, he, he's not thinking about that. He's just thinking about, you know, John Travolta song, staying alive, staying alive. So he's just <laughs> second time, right? So she calls him and he just goes off. And it works again. And the guys are around, yeah, I don't know what's with her. What's her thing? And it, and it goes, and so, so he, he escapes the second time. But after a little while, the guys around him start thinking about this. You know, we know her, you know, Mary. I don't know if it's really her name, but, you know, hey, we know Mary. She's like, she's good. She's like, she's not a liar. She's always been reliable, right? So they're starting, and, and they start like, wait a second, this guy's from, he's not from around here. And they start putting two and two together. They start realizing he's from Galilee in the north. They're in Judea in the south. It's like, and Matthew tells us that the way they figured it out was from his accent. Like, we we get this, right? Like, if someone comes up to me after church and says, hey, y'all. Like, oh, you're not from around here, are you? Right? Like, if someone, you know, comes from Boston, we can figure it out by their accent. It's like, oh, great, another Patriot fan, you know? Uh... (laughs) If someone goes like, like, you know, you know, it's like Valley Girl, right? It's like we know we can tell people from their actions, same deal. And so, so they're like, wait a second, this guy, hey, you know, I, and they're, they're piecing it together. It's like, hey, I, I think you are, right? And this time, Peter is going to lose it. And you have to understand, he's on the edge of being arrested. He's on the edge of, of losing his life. This is his big fear all night. He's been pins and needles. He's like playing his cards close to his vest. Can I still stay and be okay? Or do I need to get out of here? And he's pushed it as far as he can. And this third time, he's going to lose it. And we're told that what he's actually going to begin to do, he's going to begin to curse. He's going to take an oath. We don't know what he's saying, but he goes off. And in the midst of that, what he, he actually takes an oath. Now, we don't do a lot of oaths in our country, but one that we do is we put our hand in the Bible and we say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? In their culture, oaths were big. Oaths were how you settled stuff. And so he goes off, and then he begins to call curses down on himself. I mean, he's like, blankety blank. I'm telling you, I'm not from around here. It's not me. I don't know the guy. Back off. What's wrong with you people? I swear to God, I don't know it. And if I'm lying, may God curse me, curse my family. Maybe under the curse of God, if I'm not telling you the truth. And they're like, maybe you're not with Jesus. You should not act like him. And so he began in middle of verse 70, after a little while, standing near, Peter said, surely you are one of them. You're a Galilean. And he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I do not, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crows the second time. So in the courtyard there, <laughs> yeah, I, I used to raise chickens. Uh, <laughs> and there was a crow's, and all of a sudden, Jesus' prediction comes crashing back into his consciousness like the waves of the sea breaking in on his mind. And in that moment, it all comes back. Like he'd forgotten completely in the, in the confusion and the crazy, he'd forgotten all about it. Boom. Greatest failure of his life. Something he would never do. Something he could never imagine in a million years doing. And he's just done it. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever woken up and found that you've done something that you would have said in a million years, I'd never do that. And he's devastated. We're told in Luke's gospel, 
that at that exact moment when the rooster crowed, that Jesus looked at him and caught his eye. Now, it's a little hard to picture this. We know, we know Jesus is upstairs. We know he's in, in the courtyard, maybe by the entryway. It, we don't know enough about where Jesus is located. I've often wondered if they had like a balcony upstairs and Jesus was out for the moment while they're deliberating or something. But Luke's gospel tells us the moment the rooster, that Jesus looked across the distance and he locked eyes with Peter. It's a moment he'll never forget. It's the greatest failure of his life. He's done what he said he would never do. Can in a million years imagine doing. He has just denied the Messiah of Israel and separated himself. I have no relationship with the man that he has believed is the Messiah. It's like you're damned forever. And so immediately, verse 72, the rooster crows a second time. Peter remembers the word. It comes crashing back. Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice. He'll disown me three times. And I think at this point, he's just devastated. And uh, you know what I picture this is he's not going to break down right there with all these people around. Once again, he's going to try to act cool. He's just blown up anger, this curse. They're like backing up. Okay, okay, settle down, you know. All right, we get it. You're not the guy. Sorry, you know. And once things settles down, he quietly sneaks away back through the entrance. And once the gate's locked, he turns around the corner. And as soon as he's out of sight, he begins running through the city streets, looking for the closest dark safe alley. And when he gets there, he bawls his eyes out. Have you ever been there? Never in a million years you could see yourself in this spot. How did I get here? How did that just happen? And so Mark says he broke down and he wept. Now, that's the passage. What I want to do in the time we have today is unpack this and just highlight a couple principles for our life about who Jesus is, who we are, and specifically how he uses failure in our life, and then come back at the end and ask a question. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the Peter Principles, two powerful lessons. And, and so for, here's what we're going to do. For each one today, I'm going to make you work a little harder than normal. For each principle today, uh, after it, we're going to fill in the blank, which is very short, and then afterwards, we're going to write a parenthesis. I'm going to have you write some more, all right? So you get to participate, a little bit more interactive. All right. So number one, uh, the first thing that jumps out at me from this passage is that Jesus knows us. Uh, And in parentheses, I want you to, to write better than we know ourselves. So he knows us better than we know ourselves. I love Peter. Peter takes uh, a lot of critique, a lot of criticism, right? Some, uh, he's, he's an easy guy to, to criticize, but I love Peter. I think he's so much of who we all are if we just have the courage to be it. You know, he's definitely an extrovert, right? For Peter, there's no such thing as like think, do, think. He's a do, think, do kind of guy. And so whatever, you know, and so, so he's a man, he has great strengths and he's great weaknesses. So when you think of Peter, like the first time we meet him is on the sh- in the Mark's gospel is the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus calls him, hey, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, right? And so the first time we meet him um, is that Jesus is casting vision for his life. And uh, so we look at, his, at Peter, we see his great strengths and great weaknesses, so, so Peter is the first guy in Mark's gospel to drop his nets, follow him, awesome. Uh, you get later on, um, 
in, in the Gospels, you have this event where uh, there's a class four, you know, like uh, a storm going on, huge, you know, five, six foot waves or whatever, the Sea of Galilee, the boat's about to go under, and Jesus comes walking in the darkness in this storm. And you remember, Peter, you know, calls out, they're, they're scared to death, and they call out, and, and, you know, Peter's like, hey, if it's really you, uh, you know, and why don't you have me come to you on the water? And like I'm thinking, if it's me, there's probably a better way to verify identity. <laughs> like, I would be like, what's your mother's maiden name? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so Peter is like, like, really? Like, this is the way you're going to tell if it's a ghost or not? You're going to jump in the water. All right. Nice. Uh, so, but, you know, I love him because, you know, the, the other 11, they never got to walk on water. He's the one guy with courage. I, I love that about Peter. He's fantastic. I love it when you get to chapter 8, and Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And, and he says, you know, he's the one who has the guts just to speak up. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God, right? And so we see his tremendous strengths, but we also see tremendous weakness. Like I said, Peter is the first to put his foot in his mouth, Always. Like when I say, who puts their foot in their mouth more, John or Peter? Like none of us go like, oh, John. No, it's, it's you know, it's Peter. Uh, you know, he's the first guy to get out of the boat and walk on water, but he's the first guy to sink. He's like, hey, what am I doing? Crazy. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, Jesus has to save him. He's, you know, after he has this brilliant moment, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, Jesus, yeah, and let me tell you what that means. I'm going to have to die. He's like, hey, come over here. This is a bad publicity. You cannot do that, Jesus. This is like, I'm your campaign manager. That's, that message is not going to fly. And Jesus has to rebuke him. Get out of my way, Satan. Right? And so, so a man of tremendous strengths, tremendous weakness. But what I love is Jesus knows him from the start. He knows both his upside and his downside. He, he knows his potential and his liabilities. And can I tell you this? He knows yours too. He knows you better than you know yourself. And, and from the very beginning, we see this. Jesus' insight into Peter, like, like I love. You know, very first time we see him, shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus comes, follow me, and I will make you a what? Fisher of men. You're, you're, you're aiming too low. You're catching fish? Follow me. I've got a vision for your life. I will make you a leader of men. People who fish for men. So he's got this vision, right? From the very beginning. Uh, if we were to only to read Mark's gospel, you would get the impression that's the first time they've met. But from John's gospel, we find out that they'd actually met several months before. In fact, the first time they met, uh, Peter's brother Andrew is coming back from visiting John the Baptist. And he says to Peter, hey, you got to come meet this new guy, Jesus. John says he's the guy. And so he says, okay, so he makes the trip. First time he meets Jesus. Now think how weird this is. First time he meets Jesus, he's like, uh, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, this is my brother named Simon. And uh, Jesus looks at him and he goes, Simon, uh, I, know, I know you. Uh, I know it's your name, Simon. In fact, I know your dad. Uh, you're, you're, the, you're, you're the father, you're the son of John. Uh, and he says, and also that, let me tell you about your future that I know you go by Simon now, but in the future, there's going to come a time, you're going to go by the name Peter, which means rock. <laughs> a little weird, right? Like I meet someone at Coffee Bean, hey, I know you, you're Mike. Yeah. Your dad's name's Larry. Yeah. Someday you're going to be called Pebble. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, like what, have you been stalking me or something? Like, and they didn't have Facebook back then, right? So how did, and so what I want you to catch is from the beginning, Jesus sees the capacity of this man. He says, I know what you're created to be. I know what you're called to be. You're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be a leader, all right? So from the very beginning, he sees that capacity, has a vision for Peter's life. But he also knows his weakness, and you see this this very last night, right? This Thursday night, they're having dinner. 
All the disciples, you're going to leave me? Peter says, not me. I'll never leave you. He says, yeah, actually you will. Three times. You're going to deny me. You're going to disown me. I love how Luke tells the story. Luke gives us more info. When you turn on your your note sheet to Luke 22, he talks about that night. And and here's what he says. He says, he gives us more about the conversation. He says, uh, here's what Jesus said to him that night at dinner. He said, Simon, Simon, uh, notice he doesn't call him Peter because he's not acting like a rock right now. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, I want you to do something for me. I want you to circle that word you. Because that word you in the Greek is plural. He's not saying Satan has demanded to sift you personally. He's saying he's, he's demanded to sift all of you, the whole team. You're leader of the team. I want to give you a heads up. And he says, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not what? Now the catch is very important. He did not say, I prayed for you that you will not fail. Because he is going to fail. We know he's going to fail. He's predicting he's going to fail. He's praying that his faith will not fail. What's he talking about? When we fail in a major way, the biggest challenge we have is losing our faith in Jesus. Our biggest fear is that I've gone too far. I've crossed the line. Not even Jesus can fix this. He says, I pray that when you screw up, that your faith will not fail, that you've gone too far. And he says, and when you've turned back, and so he's predicting his future that he will turn back. He said, strengthen your brothers. So he's speaking to him as the leader of the band. And he says, Peter, you guys are going to go through something crazy. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat to see what you're made of. Separate the wheat from the chaff. What you're about to go through is crazy. And you're all, you're all going to leave me. You're going to, he says, but. He says, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail, that you will not lose hope. You'll not trust me. You'll not, what you, you've not give up what you've learned. You've not forgotten what I've said about your life and what I've predicted, that your faith will not fail. And when you turn back, I want you to gather your brothers and strengthen them. Here's what I want you to catch. Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. On that night, Peter thought he knew himself. In fact, Jesus said, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I'm not. Like, you don't know me. Jesus, you always act like you know everything. (laughs) And granted, you know a lot. You're pretty smart. I I get it. You get things right, but you don't know me. You might think you know other people. You might even know the rest of these guys here, but you don't know me. You've always put me down, right? You've, remember the time you called me Satan? I just bugged me. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus, you, you don't get it. Like, I, you don't know me. You're not the boss of me. Right? Like, I'm brave. I'm courageous. I'm committed. I'm loyal. I'm fearless. Like, I'm not going to let you down. Like, you don't know me. But the reality is, Jesus always knows us better than we know ourselves. Both the upside and the downside. Lisa, number two. Number two is that failure isn't final. And we're going to write our parentheses. So after that, say, failure isn't final, parentheses, or it doesn't have to be. It is for some people. Failure is in final, or it doesn't have to be. My, 
this was the biggest failure in Peter's life, and he was absolutely devastated. He never saw it coming. It took him totally by surprise. What I want you to catch is through this failure, Peter learned the truth about himself. Jesus had known it all along. But through his failure, Peter learned what Jesus knew. He wasn't as strong as he thought. He wasn't as brave as he thought. He wasn't as courageous as he thought. He wasn't as committed as he thought that he was going to fail. Through the failure, Peter learned the truth about himself. And here's what I want you to catch. The same is true in our lives. It's through our failures that we learn the truth about ourselves. You know, Peter in a million years could never have seen himself in this spot. There's no way. Like when Jesus said this early in the night, it was just like inconceivable to him. In no possible planet, no possible world, no possible situation, could he ever imagine denying and disowning Jesus three times, especially not on this night and that short notice, absolutely not, will never happen, can't happen, that's not what I'm made of. I'm made of better stuff than that. And through his failure, he came to know the truth about himself. And it's the same in our lives. Have you ever found yourself saying, I would never do that? And I, I would never, I don't, people are so stupid. And you can see that temptation coming a million miles away. I would never put myself in that situation. It's ridiculous. But my dad's an alcoholic. I, I will never become an alcoholic. It's like I see that one coming. I saw how it devastated. That'll never happen to me. Hey, I'll, ne- I'll never end up in jail. It's stupid, these crooks. It's like, like I, that would never happen to me. I would never fall. I will never be financial. I'll never be homeless. I would never, these people that are homeless, like what's wrong with them? Hey, I would, where's your self-respect? I, I would never fall into that kind of sexual lifestyle. Hey, I might not be the best at marriage, but I mean, we're committed. I would never end up divorced. Those kids, you see how they act? Like, what's wrong? I mean, if you're raising the right way, that would never happen to me. <laughs> well said. I would never have an abortion. That's murder. And all of a sudden, we wake up one day in a dark back alley in the middle of the night, and we say, we're weeping our eyes out because we've just done what we said we would never in a million years And at those moments, we are absolutely devastated. Our failure feels crushing. We would do anything to go back and redo it again. But life doesn't work like that. And the pain of regret is one of the greatest pains in life. And so like Peter, we feel like it's over. The Messiah, the vision, the fishing for men the rock, it's all over. God's vision for my life is over. And all I'm left with is my failure that I can't deny and my fear that I've ruined my life and my future is gone. And we look at Peter's life. Here's the reality The reality is failure is often the gateway to God's vision for your life. Failure opens the door to God's vision for your life. And that's what Peter was going to learn. You see, it's through his failure, Peter was going to learn three things that are critical for us to learn in life. And I want you to write these down. I'm going to refer to them several times. I want you to write them down there in your note sheet. 
um, because three critical lessons he's going to learn through his failure. Number one, he's going to learn we, he's going to learn the truth about himself and his weakness. Jesus is known all along. It's not news to Jesus. When we fail, it's not like, whoa, didn't see that one coming. Secondly, he's going to learn the truth about Jesus. And specifically about Jesus' amazing grace. You know, many times, even as Christ followers, we, we talk about grace, we think we understand grace, but it's not really till we fail that we, we have an opportunity to learn grace. Because often, uh, what happens, even as Christ followers, we say we believe in grace, we often live a performance-based life with Jesus. And so, what happens is that when we're, we're reading our Bible, we're going to church, we're serving, we're giving, we're doing this stuff, we, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We, like, I think God loves me right now, you know, but we, we, we start failing, I'm not sure if he loves me. You know, it's just like the, the better we perform, the more he loves me. It's a total works-based kind of thing. And we all struggle with this. It's, it's human. And often it's not until we fail in a major way. And Jesus comes to us in the midst of that, like we're going to see him come to Peter. And shows us he still loves us. And he wants, it's not until that moment we learn about grace. And so through failure, we learn first about our weakness. Secondly, we learn about Jesus' grace. The third thing we learn is the key to our success. And the key to our success is not our willpower. It's not our strength. It's not our initiation. It's about learning to trust Jesus to release his power in our life. And the reality is, it's impossible to trust Jesus when we still trust ourselves. And often the only way we stop trusting ourselves is when we fail. Like as long as you think you can handle it, you can't trust Jesus. It's just the way it is. And you can't fake that. <laughs> kind of fake it like, yeah, I really am trusting you, Jesus. I, I really trust myself, but I'm really trusting you because I need your power. It doesn't work that way. You either do or you don't. And often it's not until we're broken and we fail that we're able finally to rest and to trust and to connect with his power. And so it's through this failure that Peter is going to learn these three things. He's going to learn who he is, weak. He's going to learn who Jesus is, amazing grace. And he's going to learn the key to his success, which is trusting not in himself and his own ability, but in Jesus and his power. It's really interesting. As you study the Gospel of Mark, we're only going to see Peter's name one more time. We're coming to the end of this story. We're in chapter 14, got a couple to go. We're only going to see Peter's name one more time. But it's extremely significant when it shows up. So let me, let me kind of set it up. Uh, Peter is in the alley crying his eyes out, what, four or five in the morning, uh, Friday morning. We're going to fast forward 48 hours, about a little more than 48 hours to Sunday morning. In the meantime, Jesus has been nailed to a Roman cross. He's been executed. His body's been taken down, corpse put in a, uh, in a nearby cave. Uh, and, and so uh, some women have been there. They've observed, they've, they've witnessed his death. They've witnessed his burial. So now it's Sunday morning. They couldn't come to anoint the body on Saturday because Sabbath. So first thing, Sunday morning, they bought the spices. They're coming. It's early in the morning. It's just the sun's coming up. It's, uh, the, the reason they're anointing the body is because bodies stink. Like they start decomposing, and so the corpse is going to be decomposing, and this is what they did in that culture. You put spices on it to cover up the stink, the way of kind of, you know, kind of uh, honoring the person who's died. And so they're bringing the spices to go you know, put on the corpse, and they, they get there, and they, they're coming through the tomb. And if you've ever been to Israel or seen pictures, pictures, the entrance is going to be small. It's going to be down near the ground. It's going to stoop to go into it. And when you get inside, I mean, there's some daylight coming in from the outside, but there's no lights inside. And so it's going to be, you know, fairly dark, kind of shadowy. So they come in, they're expecting to see the body, the corpse there lying on the stone table where they'd left it. And the body's missing and it's kind of dark. And all of a sudden out of the corner, they hear a guy say, hey, <laughs> like, Wah! you know, and it's just like, turns this young guy, he's uh, dressed in white. Uh, we think he's probably an angel from the other accounts. And, uh, 
you know, it's just kind of freaking out. It's kind of spooky going into a tomb anyway, right? You know, with a dead body, and now you got someone talking to you over in the corner. And so he's like, hey, you know, don't, don't be alarmed. <laughs> like, yeah, really. Uh, and uh, in, the, in the Greek, it's more like, don't freak out. Uh, but, but he goes on to talk to him, right? And I want you to see what he says. There in your note sheet, uh, Mark 16, verse 6 and 7, he says, don't be alarmed. Uh, and he says, look, I, I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. Uh, he's risen. He's not here. Uh, here's the place where they laid him. Here's the table. You saw that before on Friday. He says, but uh, he left a message for you, right? So Jesus is gone. He left a message. He said, go tell his disciples. Uh, and what are the next two words? Peter. And Peter. That's really interesting. Every week, I start this message for newcomers. And what do I say? This series is about the life and teaching of Jesus. Seen through the eyes of one of the first leaders of the early movement of Jesus, a man named Mark, who was close friends of the apostle Peter. And so Mark writes an account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on the firsthand experiences of Peter. This gospel is the only one that adds and This is something that Peter would never forget the rest of his life, those two words. He thought he'd failed. He thought his life was over. He thought Jesus was gone forever, and he thought he would never amount to the man Jesus said he would. He would never be a fisherman. He would never be a rock. He was a failure. He had denied his Messiah and his friend in his time of closest need. He was a failure as a man. He was an absolute, gutless failure of a man. He thought it was over. And when the women came with that message, maybe the other guys didn't notice it. He would never forget those two words the rest of his life. Because look what he says. He says, uh, go tell his disciples and Peter... He's going ahead of you. Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. So Galilee's in the north. He says, hey, head north for Galilee. Because remember, in the last night that Jesus was with him, he said, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be uh, rise. None of that made sense to him at the time. And he said, then after that, I'll meet you in Galilee. None of that made sense at the time. The angel said, hey, message is still good. I'll just remind what Jesus said. Uh, you know, follow through, carry out what he told you to do. Go to Galilee. Tell his men, go to Galilee. He says, and by the way, uh, sticky note on the side of the tomb, little st- sticky note, you know, yellow note like you put in your refrigerator, sticky note on the side of the tomb, and Peter. We're going to have a party. You're all invited. Peter too. Why? Because Peter was convinced in his heart that after he had done what he had done, Jesus would want nothing to do with him and he had forfeited his role in the band of brothers and he would never be the leader he was called to be. He would live his life in shame because of his failure. And Jesus says, hey, when you, hey, angel, angel boy, This is very important. Now take this down. Take it down. Tell, there's going to be some ladies coming. When they get here, don't mess with this. Tell them to tell my disciples I'm alive. I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Here, I wrote a note for you. Don't you forget this. And Peter. All right, and I'm going to put it here on the edge of the cave, right here. Don't forget. And when Peter got that message, he's like, can I have that sticky note? <laughs> I'm going to put it right here, right here. He never forgot those two words. And it's really interesting because we find out later that um, he did go north to Galilee eventually and we're, we're led into a very powerful conversation that Jesus had with Peter when he got there. It's in John chapter 21 and Jesus is meeting with Peter and, and Jesus takes him back to that fateful night. And we're told that three times, 
three times in that conversation, he asks Peter a very simple question. He says, do you love me? One of the times he said, do you love me more than these? Peter, that last night, Peter had said, I don't care what all the rest of the guys do, I will never leave you. I love you more than them. Jesus takes him back that night and he says three times, asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? It was a painful conversation for Peter. But he had to have it. Jesus was taking him back to to the, to the, the site of his failure, not because he didn't love Peter, but because he did. Not to hurt him, but to heal him. Men, I want to catch this. When we fail, if we want to get better, if we want to heal, we have to go back to the site of our failure and call it by its true name. We cannot pretend it didn't happen. We cannot rationalize it. We can't blame others. We can't justify it. If we're ever going to heal, we have to go back and look it square in the eye and have that conversation. That was a failure. So Jesus takes it back, but not to hurt him, but to heal him. And I want you to see what Peter says. The very last time he asks him, there on your note sheet, in John 21, it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. This was painful. He said, do you love me? And he said, and I want you to catch what Peter says. He says, Peter, I need to ask you a third time. Now, Peter's getting frustrated. It's painful. Like, he's asked me three times. I've said the same thing. He says, Lord, look what he says. He said, Lord, you know what? I don't miss that. On Thursday night, Peter thought he knew all things, at least in his life. You don't know me, you're not the boss of me, you act like you know me, but I'll never do this, I'll never do that, never happen, you don't know me. You might know the others, you don't know me. But through this failure, he's come to know himself. And he's also come to know that Jesus knows him better than himself. And so all he can say is, Lord, you know all things. I mean, I'm telling you the best I know, I love you, but you know all things. I mean, you, you can read my heart, you know and Jesus says, yeah, you finally get it. And he says, okay, now you're ready to feed my sheep. So through his failure, Peter had come to know who, Jesus, uh, uh, who the truth about himself, the truth about Jesus and his love, and the truth about who you trust for your future. See, Peter no longer trusted himself. He was now trusting Jesus, you know. That, that transfer has been made, and now he's ready to leave. And so the question there, there's a question for us as we wrap this up. Then Peter's failure, the section called Peter's failure, one important question. And here's the question, and I'll give you the parentheses. The question is, what's your greatest failure? And in parentheses, right, or your greatest weakness. What's your greatest failure in your past? What's your greatest weakness now in your present? See, Peter thought that because of his failure, his future was over. He thought he'd gone too far. He'd crossed the line. It could never be salvaged. God could, God's vision for his life could never be restored. He never is going to be a rock. He's never going to be a fisher of men. It's never, it's never going to happen. But, but he learned that Jesus taught him that failure wasn't final. So the question I have for you is in your life, what are those failures in your past that are your greatest failures that threaten to define you? What are those failures in your past that cause you to go into the dark alleys of your mind in the middle of the night and cry your eyes out because this can never be fixed? And so I'll never be the man or the woman God created me to be because this. I never saw it coming, but life will never be the same. I can never carry out God's future for my life. Or let's twist it just a little. What is the weakness in your life right now? What is the, the, the sin 
that you can't seem to overcome? What's the doubt you can't seem to deal with? What's your fear that you can't seem to conquer? What is it in your life right now that causes you to feel like, like, you know what? I don't think he can fix this. I'm too screwed up. I'm too messed up. I don't think he wants me north in Galilee. I don't think I'm invited to the party. Here's what we learn through the story of Peter. We learn that when we come to Jesus, he has a yellow sticky note for each of our lives. And what you need to do is take out your pen, and I'm going to cross out Peter here, and I'm going to write Mike. It's now my sticky note. And when a man or woman comes to Jesus, or even after we fail him, like Peter, after we know Jesus, and we feel like it can never be fixed, I can never be the person I was created to be, it's over, I might sit in the back row, but I can't really be used. The vision is over. We need to pull out that sticky note. And remember, it says, and you. And of course, this is the story of Peter's life, right? I mean, he has that conversation with Jesus. Like I said, we've got to be honest. Sometimes we want to pretend that it wasn't that bad. Hey, well, it wasn't really my fault, or I didn't do this, or I didn't know, or I didn't know, or I came from this family, or we want to make excuses. As long as you make excuses, you can never get well. If you want to get well, you have to have that conversation with Jesus where you go back to the site of the crime. You call it by its true name. You stop rationalizing. But here's the thing. If you're willing to have that conversation, come under his leadership, it's not the end of your story. It's the start of a new story. And for Peter, this was his story. Because, of course, about less than two months after that night, that Friday morning when he's in the alley crying his eyes out, Less than two months later, he is back in that same city, but now it's daylight. Same Sanhedrin is ruling. Ten days earlier, Jesus had left to go back to be with his father. The Holy Spirit's come on the day of Pentecost. The city is packed just like it was during Passover two months ago. And this time, Peter is getting up and with boldness and clarity, telling the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. He's holding the leaders of the Sanhedrin accountable for it. 3,000 people come to Christ, and when he's arrested and threatened and beaten, he says, you'll have to figure out whether it's better, it's right for me to obey you or God, but I've made up my mind. I cannot stop talking about what I've seen. Peter has finally become a fisher of men. Peter has become the rock that Jesus said he would, a leader in the early church, and it's all happened because of his failure. Because through his failure, he learned who he was, he learned who Jesus is, and he learned the path to success. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Father, this is just such encouraging stuff for us. Or we all go through our life and wonder if we're the exception to the rule. If we've gone too far... If we've screwed up too much, if that path we took, that marriage we destroyed, those kids we ruined, that drug we started taking, that sex we had over and over again, this financial failure in our life, we all wonder if we've gone too far. There's all times in our life we wonder if everyone else is invited to the party but not us. Lord, today I thank you that today you give us each our yellow sticky note and you say, here is your personal invitation. In those moments you question whether this is for you, you pull this out. Remember, this is for all the disciples and specifically for you. And Lord, we pray as we come today, as we worship, as we bring you our offering, Lord, I pray you'd speak deep into our heart. You'd tell us not to fear that all our failures, all our fears, that you are bigger and that our faith in you would not fail. And then when our failures are big, we would realize you are bigger still. And that we would not let our failures separate 
us from you because you never will. And Lord, today we just want to come. And if there's any of us here, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But you're here today and you're carrying around the weight of a past failure. You think you're not good enough. You think you're not invited to the party. You think he can never use you. You think your life is over. You think his vision for your life is over. I want to tell you that is not true. What is true is that he is better than you think. That he is bigger than you can imagine. And that he has seen you from the day he called you to faith. He has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And his vision for you has never changed. And so this day, will you receive that yellow note? That yellow sticky note as a gift from him. And you scratch out Peter's name and you write in yours. And then you rise and sing that all our failures and all our fears that we would never be good enough, that we've missed, our, we've missed the path, that he's overcome, that he has overcome. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Let's worship. All our failures, all our fear, God, our love has overcome. Amen? Amen. So I should go home. And whether you do it literally on the refrigerator or you write it in your journal, I want you to take note of it. I want you to remember this sticky note that Jesus left on the tomb. The angel wouldn't forget. Tell Peter. This is his word over your life. No matter what you've done or where you've gone, there's a yellow sticky note. Jesus says, I've got it covered. May this be a week where you experience, come to believe, his deep love for you. May you understand that he knows you better than you know yourself. May you understand that you're worse than you ever thought you were. And that he is better than you ever thought he could be. He has overcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. This week, uh, next week, we're going to be continuing this journey. Jesus has now been convicted, beaten. He's been taken across town, probably to the palace of Herod, where Pilate's in town, the Roman governor, not normally there. Uh, he normally rules from Caesarea, but he's in town. It's Passover week. It could be riots. He's in town to keep tabs. Jesus is going to be brought in probably at six in the morning, and the charges are going to be against him. be high treason against Rome. When he's convicted, this will be the placard above his head with the charges, king of the Jews. He claimed to be a rival king. Next week's powerful passage, as we learn who Jesus is and why he, why he came, it's one of the reasons why I call this whole series, all three, all three of the, the parts of the trilogy, about the king. Jesus the king, crucified king, because Mark presents him as a servant king. And next week, we're going to learn what that's about. And so I hope you can be with us as we continue this journey. Don't forget that after the service, if you need prayer about anything, right down here to my right afterwards in both the video venue and right down here, there's a place for prayer, prayer connection, for anything you need. Until then, may you know the truth about yourself, the truth about Jesus and his amazing love, and the key to your success. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. See you soon.